We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Make Time for This. Probably a part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. We are coming to you right after the World Cup presentation, the celebrations. Um, I, I don't know if you saw it yet. I sent a video, Andrew, of clearly local Argentinians around me just like beeping their horns. Just they're having a fun time. Uh, so maybe maybe some of that will come back. Maybe people will hear some horns. We're coming after the greatest World Cup final ever, one of the greatest matches ever. Uh, France and Argentina, for as much as maybe it didn't look like it for seventy nine minutes, it sure did deliver. The game finished three three after extra time, and on penalties, Argentina claim the World Cup. Lionel Messi finally gets his hands on the most famous trophy in the sport. And I don't know, it's going to take us all a long time to gather our breath. Um, We're going to do our best to kind of go through it, go through what it meant in the moment, what it means in the, the bigger picture. But Andrew, we really couldn't have asked for much more from a World Cup final as a spectacle than this game ultimately delivered. It's like a, a slow building film or television episode with an absolutely uh, insane payoff at the end uh, for 79 minutes. I was wondering if, you know, there would be a little bit of a not an asterisk. I don't want to say that, but just a little bit of a sour feeling about being robbed of a potentially entertaining final. As we said on the last podcast, finals often aren't uh the best football or the most entertainment they can be cagey tight matches uh where the conservative nature of a manager not wanting to have his team make that uh, fatal mistake gets the better of two sides and they just uh play out the string this was not that uh this was thrilling in the end the narratives were changing in real time all over the place Kylian Mbappe saying that he's ready to be the heir apparent 
to the Messi and Ronaldo throne of best player in the world right now. We've known that all tournament, but it was on full display here. I mean, just everything we could have asked for from from that 79th minute on. And I mean, to be fair, uh, the second Argentinian goal was a, a great mm-hmm. team goal as well. So that was a sight to behold. And that's even like in the back of our minds when we talk about everything that would happen at the end of this game. And after this uh, match, I mean, there, there's so much room for activities, Adam. And now we're here to try and talk about it in real time. You know, there'll be plenty of time for the debate about, where this finally stacks uh, Messi up with the greats, in particular Diego Maradona. He did what we said that he needed to do to be considered on the same uh, footing uh, in Argentina. But, you know, contextually worldwide, Adam, you know, we really might have to see him do it in a U.S. Open Cup or an MLS Cup final before <laughs> we can be fully sure. I mean, my one thought on that, just generally for Messi after matches, just retire. Like, I, I don't know why more people don't do this. It's got to feel so satisfying to do it. Just retire. You've done everything. It, like, retire mid-season. Uh, maybe wait till you get out of Qatar before you leave PSG in the lurch mid-season. But just retire mid-season and be like, you know what? It doesn't get any better than that. I've done it. I've completed the full set. I've got everything I could possibly have ever wanted to win. It's here. It's mine. And I'm going out on top. Because, look, part of the conversation of the tournament has been his greatest rival and one of the other players in that conversation having the really unsavory end of what that is. I don't know. Maybe Messi rides off into the sunset, which is, you know, the Florida sunset, sunshine state itself. And that's kind of retirement. It is where people go to retire. So that will work in a different way, but I just, if you cannot get a better moment to sign off for him to seal his legacy and to put kind of the icing on, on the very, very impressive cake that is Lionel Messi's career. Um, let's, let's go kind of blow by blow, at least through the goals, key events of the game. Let's get all of that taken care of because we really could go randomly to so many different moments. Um, first off, I think starting lineups, interesting stuff on both sides. France going with four at the back. It was something we talked about on the the preview pod, the post semifinal pod. I really thought five at the back was the answer for them in this game. I'm actually surprised they didn't, as the game go on, move to that quicker. Lissandro Martinez didn't come on at all in this game, which feels like one of the only games of the tournament that didn't happen. They stuck rigidly with a four. Uh, Talia Fico got to start at left back um, in place of... Who am I forgetting? Who came on? Came on the left wing, Marcos Acuna, um, who had kind of been a pretty attacking left wing back for a lot of the tournament with the four. I guess Tadefico made more sense. And in playing the four and making that particular change with Paredes dropping out of the team, it allowed Angel Di Maria to return to the starting lineup for Argentina. Honestly, I don't think we mentioned him at all because he had been dropped out of the team and they had adjusted their formation. They were doing different things that was working for them. And I hadn't really considered until the starting lineups came true that, oh yeah, Di Maria could start the World Cup final. Uh, we'll, we'll probably get into it some more details it goes on, but long being my least favorite player in the entire world of football. So quite the experience this World Cup final watching him. 
Um, he did himself no favors in that department during this term no, as I mean, well. He, but he, <laughs> like, I mean, had a perfectly Angel de Maria final. Like, yep. an undoubtedly brilliant player with a great career who is just very, very hard to like because he does I was... make himself very, very easy to root against. I was referring to... Uh his comments about Louis van Gaal. And so he's done himself no favors in the win back Adam uh, sweepstakes. Uh, Don't, don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, but yes, undeniably inserted into the starting lineup here and makes an impact that I don't think really any of us saw coming. Like that's not what I had on my, my bingo sheet as uh, Scaloni's big tactical masterclass move that puts them in the driver's seat in a world cup final. But lo and behold, yeah, well, it even it pushed Messi out wide more than I would have expected. Messi played a lot of, particularly first half, out wide right, uh, which is the kind of position you don't see him in a whole lot anymore. Once very much a staple of what he would do. But it worked. Very, very effective. Still, I felt the game was pretty cagey early on. It was the kind of classic final. We think Argentina came out with by far their best start of the tournament. But yet they weren't actually creating chances. And I think that was very much the case for the first 30. Actually, you know, we can we can pinpoint exactly about 35 minutes. Uh, I, I don't think they'd created a real chance, but they did have the lead because in the 23rd minute, Angel de Maria um, just over a long kind of the left end line. Cut back inside. Usman Dembele was tracking back with him. Ended up wrong side of Di Maria. Di Maria goes down is really the most of all I can go from there. And the referee with no hesitation or it's a penalty. Uh, VAR seemed to have no interest in looking at it. Honestly, one of the things I'm most happy about the final is that we got to see a back and forth game and lots of goals. So it doesn't feel like this was a deciding factor. Although, of course, it did give one of the goals in a final. Uh, because this was a travesty to me. It's just not a penalty. Not a penalty. If there's contact, it's the slightest contact. Then Bele is asking for trouble because he's the wrong side. I can see how a referee would look and be like, I think that's a penalty. Uh, but you can see it in any replay, and if VAR had looked at it, he is on his way down before there's any trace of contact. And even with that, there's not enough. So it was a dive. He dived as he has done on thousands of occasions throughout his career. And in a sport that now we're supposed to have uh, processes in play to prevent something like this happening in a World Cup final, it didn't. The penalty was awarded. Messi made no mistake from the spot. Um, like for all of his brilliance, I think I said this in the semifinal too, I, my lasting memories of Messi at this tournament are going to be him standing at penalty spots. It just felt like such a really kind of central element of his tournament for all of the brilliance for some of the great assists i think more than anything else a couple of nice goals in there too but his tournament really marked by penalties and in a way that was very positive overall considering his overall track record with penalties has been hit and miss no mistake there for messi what were your thoughts on di maria being quote-unquote fouled and the opening goal uh first off i thought dembele was was really poor there. Like that cutback from Di Maria was a nice uh, little move of finesse to get by him. 
And he almost would have been better off to not chase him at that point. And just, I think, who who was he staring, uh, who was Di Maria staring down on there? It might have been Jules Koundé or um, Varane, I can't remember. But uh, not a penalty for me at all. Didn't think so in the moment. Didn't think so on the replays. Uh, with VAR, I mean, we've taken the game to an almost molecular level in terms of litigating certain things. If someone's armpit hair is offside, we'll make sure we catch that. And yet, here in this moment, we couldn't right a wrong in what was a clear dive. And later in the match, that referee showed an, ab- an ability to spot a dive in real time and give a yellow exact, card for it. Exact same, like, that was the equivalent moment. Um, it was for Marcus Taram, right? That wasn't that yes. situation, remember, right? Exactly the same kind of dive, where if you want to look at it, and if the referee had given it, I probably wouldn't have overturned it because it oh, well, there is like some very faint contact there. It just got to be better than this, got to be smarter than this. And part of the issue I think I have, not with VAR, it must be said, but with technology in this World Cup has been that automated offside they've been doing, which is just ridiculous. It doesn't factor in any semblance of how human bodies move and what direction a defender might be moving in, an attacker and what that does. Um, so as you said, those like, Oh, where is this on the arm? Is it above or below where the sleeve of the jersey falls, which is how they've been determining onside offside? Honestly, that's how Argentina's tournament started on the wrong note. The Tara Martinez had an offside that was like maybe a couple of centimeters of his jersey was offside or of his arm beyond. Just it's ridiculous. That stuff is we don't want the game to be fully ruled by technology. I don't think that's good for any sport. And then you see the flip side of it there, where you're like, there's multiple people, multiple people in the mix here. And you have the ability to just watch this back and be like, are we really sure? Because this is a World Cup final. It's a pretty important decision to make. All very confident, all very firm in their conviction. I think, I don't know how you feel about it. Like, I don't know. Is VAR in in MLS? Like, is, is it something yeah. that, like, I'm always curious as to how it's, implemented in different leagues because i know from very regularly watching both premier league and la liga and syria times as well the implementation is completely different completely different um the kind of the bar for var intervening is completely different i think that's a case where you're like the guys in the var room are they just do they not want to be the person to insert themselves into the World Cup to overrule the referee who's got the biggest moment of their life in getting the World Cup final? I, I don't know. But just that that was a weird moment to start on. I'm so glad the game became so much more than that because if this is finished 1-0 or else even the 2-0 that it was coasting for for so long, that was a turning point. And I think we all would look to that and be like, uh, was that worth killing a game for, really? Was that worth swinging momentum so severely and it wasn't but it was only only a footnote really in this game overall i guess it's just something in the wider state of how officiating works in football that uh it's kind of hard to overlook and it's something you kind of keep in mind going forward on messi at the penalty spot you know i think i had friends and then see people on twitter complain about how many penalties Argentina have been awarded at this World Cup and I know it's frustrating because of how punitive penalties are uh, to the result and the match that being said 
I'm still have been impressed with Messi's ability to relentlessly convert in in this tournament, and especially in this match. Um, same can be said for Kylian Mbappe. Harry Kane's field goal uh, <laughs> has made me kind of appreciate the ability to do that when the stakes are so high and when the pressure's on because these guys got to where they are because to a degree they're immune to that sort of pressure that's how you become just an absolute best athlete in the world but they're still human beings and to stand there in that moment Kylian Mbappe staring at let's let's being, leave that let's we'll, we'll yeah. get that because because I do think there's a general there's an interesting thing about like those three Messi Mbappe Kane all take their penalties in very different ways. And I do think it feeds into when they score, when they miss too, yeah. which is interesting. In in that moment for Messi, we'll take it back to the, the yeah, first the Messi goal. Was fine, right? Yeah, he's, he, he's the first point in the match where he's staring his legacy directly in the face. Sure. And he converts. And I mean, I just like, as I hated that it got, that it had to happen that way, but I was still like, all right, do your thing. Do your thing, Messi. Yeah, and from I guess that being a pretty under my and underwhelming moment in the game, um, an underwhelming moment to open scoring in the World Cup from that penalty award, you then get the full brilliance of Argentina, of Messi, of Di Maria on display. As no real response from France to that goal, France looking completely lifeless in the first half, and in the thirty-six minute, a really just lightning counter-attack very few players i think maybe only messi with more than one touch um from right back all the way over to the left winger and Di maria just great one touch passing flicks around the corner messi takes one touch flicks it out to the to the right to i believe molina um who plays down the line i think to McAllister again i'd remember all this stuff if this game didn't become so crazy later on but I think it was McAllister who made the overlapping run out wide right and a really good pass across to Di Maria, who I thought finished really well because to go back across goal there is the thing to do. And it's also the much riskier decision to make in that moment. So players often don't do it. They often go for a particular left footed player. Oh, I'm going to pass this to the near post and maybe the keeper is not coming across quick enough to actually get there. Di Maria going back across the sliding Luis's body, finds the bottom corner. An absolutely fantastic counter-attacking goal. One of the best team goals of the tournament. And at that point, you're like, that's a great World Cup goal, at least. We're probably not going to get a better goal than that in this World Cup final. Um, the interesting thing, I guess, from there is, just four minutes later, Didier Deschamps had seen enough. Ousmane Dembele, Olivier Giroud, both substituted. On at that point, um, came was it Kingsley Common then? No, Kingsley Common came later. So it was Marcus Turam and uh, Randall Kolomuani. Uh, basically, Dembele was having a terrible game. I don't really see any any reason to argue with the decision to to take him off at that point. And with Giroud, it's more like okay, this is not working, and we talked in the Dutch game about how actually Van Hal had so much success by plan A wasn't working against the Fran- against the Argentinians so let's put on two big strikers and let's change our approach entirely and the success they got out of that France kind of ended up doing the reverse here they got much more 
mobile, younger, faster attacking players on. Um, gave them more kind of fluidity positionally within the front three, allowed Mbappe to go central for long spells, although his success ultimately did come from his familiar wide left position. Um, the only thing I have on this is, I think it's like unbelievably humiliating to be substituted in the 40th minute of a World Cup final. And the fact that he didn't let this go the five minutes. Now, I have to say, when the referee and his uh, assistants decided there was seven minutes stoppage time in the first half, then it's like, okay, well, that's 12 minutes of a game you don't want to throw away. But at the time, in the moment, my top, particularly for Giroud and the history he's made for France in this tournament, how good a tournament he's had overall, and his uh, tumultuous pass at Deschamps, or Deschamps hasn't always really liked him as a player, hasn't seen that being his idea of France should play and has had to come back to him, has got so much success out of him. 48-minute substitution, I didn't see any live shots, but I saw some still photos that were taken of a very angry Olivier Giroud uh, on the sideline because that is he is France's all-time top scorer. That is how his international career has ended. He's 36. He's never going to play for France again. Like, it's just not going to happen unless they allow him to have, like, one almost testimonial-like game in a qualifier, probably against Ireland, Andrew, to let him come along and score a hat-trick to, to finish off his career. But more often than not, players at that kind of age, they finish their career at the end of a major tournament. So Giroud's career likely finished in that moment, the 40th minute of a World Cup final. Did any of that, did you think anything of that at the time, or is it just purely a case of, this is so bad for France, <laughs> you've got to do something and you can't wait any longer? uh yeah i was i was kind of shocked uh just because there is now i know in a world cup final it's gonna be all hands on deck none of this matters but there's a degree of of disrespect in the decision especially to for, for his uh career achievements there and i mean he's been he was really good for the most part in this tournament he did what he's supposed to do and he scored some goals that's that's Olivier Giroud in uh, a French uniform, and it it was a little shocking. Uh, with the with the subs the way they are now, it just seems like I can barely tell who's still on the pitch from time to time because it's almost like hockey line changes. And one coming that early, uh, was a bit shocking. But also to your point, we've gotten used to in this tournament just being insane levels of added time at the end of half so instead of five minutes and it's really you know closer to to 15 so i guess if you're looking to really change things up and have kind of a different identity and attack and style of play and maybe try to nab a goal right before halftime and and shift the momentum as it were so i can kind of get it from that standpoint but it, it was shocking um second argentinian argentina goal uh to go back to there, yeah, just a great team goal. The messy one touch and flick to, uh, I think it was actually, was it Julian Alvarez? And then Alvarez to McAllister. McAllister plays it across to um, Di Maria. Just brilliant there. And then, like, I, at this point in the match, I enter into a position where I want to write France off because I've read the story about there's a virus going around the uh the locker room and guys are sick and the performance. I mean, did they have a shot on target in the first half? I don't think that they did. They didn't, they didn't have really. a shot, let alone a shot on target. It was something like 65 minutes before they had a shot. 
they just looked like a team that was not up for this match for whatever reason. And then you take an unfair punch to the mouth and then you're done in by a goal like that <laughs> by by the villain who uh, uh, ended up creating the first opportunity uh, through diving. That being said, it's just in this tournament, especially that that Netherlands game, it's just like, do I trust Argentina to hold on to this lead? And the question of the game became, when is France going to respond? And when is, like, when is too late? So, yeah, you had to expect that at halftime subs were coming on and Deschamps was just like, you know what? <laughs> we're uh, I'm, I'm, I don't want to watch this movie anymore. I'm putting in a different Blu-ray and then <laughs> hit the eject button. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. When we when we talk about the virus that the world reports of, I, I know in the semifinal we had touched on, but I, I didn't have the information at the time, so we didn't know about it. Like when Rabiot and Upamecano were both unfit for the semifinal, the reason why is they had come down with this virus. For anyone who hasn't heard, uh, all reports on the ground from journalists and everything is there has been a really brutal virus that's been running rampant in Qatar. Um for the past 10 days now to the extent like people getting hospitalized um, a lot of people who weren't wearing masks at the start of tournaments now wearing masks everywhere they go and yeah the reports ahead of the last 16 game where we're at, there were some trace of it in the England squad 
I don't know, is that maybe where it got into France or is it just so pervasive that it was bound to happen? But France seemingly came down very bad with it, uh, with Upamecano and Rabiot. Then in the days leading up to this game, Raphael Varane, uh, Jules Koundé, I believe, Kingsley Coleman. Certainly Coleman and Varane were not training with the other players and were being kept away from everyone in the build-up to this game. So even Varane starting was a little surprising. Uh, Upamecano coming back to start, I think was surprising based on Canada's semi-final performance, but also based on the fact that he was a player we knew was unwell. So this all fed into a lot of rumors and discussion around the French of how bad was this? Are other players affected? From there, the rumblings that, oh, well, Kareem Benzema's in their squad and now he's training at Real Madrid again. He's going to come back to the World Cup. They all arose from there. Uh, they actually really could have done with Benzema at a certain point. And when Deschamps was making those changes, I'd say he would have loved to have Benzema. There's definitely more to how that played out, but Benzema seemed to not be interested in coming back um, in spite of, I believe, Emmanuel Macron asking him to come to the game. So a lot going on there. And it did really look like, okay, well, there has to be something up in France. They just weren't running. I mean, that was the thing. There, there are two elements. One is the Argentinian counter was so deadly um, in part because they just looked to have so much more energy than France. The other part of it, though, was France would go and try to tackle fairly in a, a very kind of, I don't know, I don't want to hold France, you know, Thierry Henry and all that up as the bastion of fair play, Andrew. But they were going and trying to defend these counters. And if a ball's flicked around the corner and there's a quick one too, and all of a sudden Argentina are in behind. Argentina are in behind. You've got a chance. Where Argentina, in true Argentinian fashion, and honestly something which has become much more common for top teams in the world, anytime France got a sniff of breaking, it's a foul. Argentina are going to foul you. They're going to take you down. They'll take a yellow card if they have to. But you are not going to beat them that way. And with France looking very lethargic on the ball, not really string passes together, didn't look like there was a way back in at all. I mean, it, it really was kind of appearing to be game over. And then in the 78 minute, just kind of pretty speculative ball over the top. Um, I think it might have been Turan played the ball, just flicked it over and was trying to chase onto it himself. All of a sudden, Otamendi... Uh, one of the older and less agile centre-backs in the entire World Cup is finding himself running back and Colomuane is charging true, absolutely charging true, just burns him for pace, arm on his left shoulder once, arm across his chest, grab at the chest, grab at the arm. I saw some conversation about this not being a penalty either. This is a penalty when a player is that much faster than someone just burns by you for pace and you take four grabs at them, that's a penalty. So out of nowhere, a chance for France to get back into the game. Argentina, having blown a 2-0 lead against the Netherlands earlier in the tournament and having had to go to extra time, just starts to get a little bit, hmm, I wonder, I wonder, will this get interesting? Mbappe steps up, good penalty, kind of, middle of the goal, height-wise, left corner. Emmy Martinez gets a good hand to it, as he as he's prone to do. 
but too much pace, too much power, just well struck, decisive, and France have a lifeline. Two one. Just like that, you're like, okay, are the nerves gonna kick in? And it doesn't take very long at all. Just over a minute goes by. Lionel Messi has the ball going towards the halfway line, and Kingsley Coman does absolutely brilliantly to chase back past them, just muscle Messi off the ball, turn, spread a pass to Adrian Rabio, who picks a ball over the top high. Mbappe heads it down, um, plays a 1-2. I think it was with Taram this time, and then produces... I don't know, like maybe there's part of this where we'll have to wait and see a few days go by. How do we feel? This is the goal of the tournament for me. This is better than Richarlison's because that combination of Mbappe knockdown and then Turam could have been could have been Colomelane either to just flick it back up and Messi to volley it into the, the far corner. With those stakes, under those circumstances, at that moment in the game is just one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. The degree of difficulty to finishing like that under any circumstances is really, really high. And to do it like that, keeping single-handedly your whole country's World Cup hopes alive was just astonishing. Uh, you mentioned Mbappe as an heir apparent. We'll probably talk more about him in the in the individual sense toward the end here. He is the best player in the world. There's no heir apparent. He became the first player to score a hat-trick in a final since Jeff Hurst. Uh, he went beyond scoring a hat-trick. He also had a ball in the net for the fourth time. And to deliver like that, and also in a game where he was so quiet for so long, I think it just shows kind of the magic of him, what he's capable of, just the threat that his pace always just gives you. You always have a chance. Like, he was having a bad enough game that when Deschamps took off Griezmann to bring on Kingsley Coman, he could have decided to take Mbappe off. And he had to take one of those two players, and that's a really tough decision to take either of those guys. But the reason you leave Mbappe on is that. And just a truly astonishing goal, which at that point, uh, I was on my feet, I was shouting, which I did not expect going into this World Cup final where I was very much in neutral. But that was just how good it was as a moment, how special it was as a goal. It's why we watch any sport. All sports, it, yes. It's for this. Yes, to see this moment. And we talked about how powerful the narratives were just across the board, but another one of the, one of those is just like how special Kylian Mbappe is at 23. His birthday is next week, so... Happy early birthday to Kylian Mbappe. Sorry um, that, uh, you know, this day did not end so well for you. But, I mean, to your point, there's there are types of players that even when they're not at their best, you want to have them on the field because that kind of thing can happen just in the spark of a few moments. They get the penalty, he converts that, and then you're right, it was to Ram. Beautiful one too, just like to head it down to Taram. Taram, I think one touches it right back into his path and he just volleys it home. Just an incredible finish that, I mean, so few people on this earth can do and to do it in the biggest moment and to take a match that was going to be probably at that time referred to, you know, Messi's coronation, but also, you know, just kind of another listless, not great final and instead to turn it into one of the, the best 
matches people have ever seen in their lifetimes. I mean, just incredible in the moment. Um, yeah, uh, just creates an entire new game in the span of what was it? Ninety six seconds? Did they say yeah. or some some kind of number? Something around. crazy like that. Like, just an incredible moment that people are going to be like, I remember where I was when I stood on my couch in my living room when Kylian Mbappe equalized the the France-Argentina World Cup final. Just just incredible. Um, I agree with you on the, the penalty shout. Uh, I think we've, we've seen Nicolas Otamendi do plenty of times if you watched him in the Premier League. That's, uh, he's, that was my thing I said in... Uh, I think our preview podcast that Oda Mendy or Christian Mare- uh, Romero making a, a crucial mistake um, at the worst time was one of my big fears about Argentina when at that time before abandoning them, uh, I had picked multiple them times. to win it all multiple times. Maybe, I just kept maybe ca- four times. Maybe I, Andrew, I think I'm going to ask you to just like every podcast uh, next MLB season to abandon the Brewers. You need to pick them to win the world series and then just abandon them every single episode. Listen, I'll do whatever it takes to help the team. Uh, and apparently, you know, I did that for Argentina. But yeah, Mbappe is the best in the world. I I think I on this podcast or offline, I told you about arguments I've been having with people that are trying to claim that he's not. And it's like, I'm just going to talk so it's much. It's insane. It's I'm gonna, insane. I'm going to talk so much trash tomorrow. You don't even understand. <laughs> I And I also, I understand, like... I'm old enough to have gone through the wave of best player in the world changing and best player in the world changing. So, for example, when the best player in the world was Zidane, if we want to take that as someone who did everything at club level, everything at international level, and is still to say one of my favorite players just ever to watch, just truly breathtaking. No one has ever been as elegant as Zidane was on a football pitch. And then you're like... It's tough to imagine someone as good as Zidane. Look how good Zidane is. And for there, Messi and Ronaldo come along. And we reach a level where we're like, Pele was a mythical figure, Maradona was a mythical figure, and no one was ever going to get to those heights. And to reach a point where very credible conversations go on about those two guys being better than those predecessors, and it being between them for the best player ever. So I even saw there were tweets today where people are like, Look, if Mbappe wins today, why could he not end up being the greatest player of all time? By all, but it, when all said and done, and the pushback to that is colossal. It's like he's not near Messi; he can't get to Messi's level. And it's kind of like it's a lot of career left here. Like he he really could, and it's tough to imagine that there is a long way to get to that point. But this is also not normal. Like. I part of that just can't get lost in the shuffle from winning that World Cup four years ago uh, as a 19 year old, four and a half years ago, the way things have played out, as a 19 year old, as a teenager, being so clearly like, oh, this is France's best player. He had only broken on the scene very shortly before that with a breakout kind of Champions League tournament, Monaco, where everyone went from not knowing who he was to being like, oh my God, who is this guy? I haven't seen anyone like this in a long, long time. Winning that, then going, scoring eight goals in the World Cup and a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Mbappe could do whatever he wants, it seems like. Um, and it's a test with Argentina that they, they managed to stop him on this occasion. But 
that's one of the biggest takeaways from today too. You've got everything about Messi and Messi's legacy and that is entirely understandable and valid and it is the moment for it. But I think the point also has to come where people are like, Mbappe might be even a level above where people thought because not just the things he can do, his ability, but the way he delivers in the biggest moments is pretty spectacular. To keep us moving, the final few minutes, I mean, chances, this is still in the 90 minutes, chances both ways. Um, France looked like if they could just get in behind again, they're going to score. They're going to score a winner. All momentum is with them. I tip my hat to Argentina because I think if I was a player on the pitch and I went from 2-0 up with just over 10 minutes left in the World Cup and all of the emotion to that to conceding two, uh, I would be so frazzled. I, I don't think I'd be able to just it it felt to me like it's like a hurt locker scene out there, Andrew. The bomb has gone off, and you've got these guys just kind of they might be in their protective suits, but they're still they're staggering out of the scene. It's like, where am I? Who am I? Um I give them a lot of credit for just holding on. Maybe that's where the Dutch moment really helped them too. Um because they've already been true ladding and managed to go out the other side and win in, in that particular game in the tournament. Messi then has a absolutely brilliant, powerful effort from the edge of the box that if it was anywhere but right at Hugo Lloris is the most spectacular winning goal imaginable in a World Cup final. But just central enough that Lloris could get a hand on it, get it over the bar, we go to extra time. When we got to extra time, my feeling was, okay, we're going to penalties. Not because of how it also played out, just it does seem more often than not, teams get extra time again, they seize up, things get cagey. Um, you don't want to be the player to make the mistake, particularly in a World Cup final. And players are tired, they're conserving energy, managers start to have one eye on penalties, they start to think, should I make this substitution set or better for penalties? First 15 minutes, I thought were pretty flat. Couple of Argentina chances just before halftime and extra time. Um, but still it kind of felt like this is probably finishing 2-2 and going to penalties. Then Gonzalo Montiel, just a couple of minutes into the second half extra time, just kind of hitting hope, lofts a ball over the top that gets to Latara Martinez. A lovely, lovely quick interchange of passes. Uh, Martinez back heels to Alvarez, or not to Alvarez, who was that? McAllister, I think, because... Martins came on for Alvarez. Um, he back heels to McAllister, who then plays it to Messi, who plays it back through for Lotaro. Lotaro absolutely smashes one that hits Hugo Lloris somewhere between his face and his chest, just kind of bounces back, and Messi is there on the spot to finish. Just about Upamecano was there, just beyond the line. He cleared it very quickly, but the referee's watch obviously lit up, saying it crossed the line. Argentina lead three two. I didn't feel it was over. Did you feel like it was over? Because I feel like at this game, we at this point in the game, like the match itself had primed us for <laughs> maybe don't don't settle on anything. Don't rest on your laurels until the final whistle is blown. Yeah, I didn't think it was over, um, at all. Um, 
another beautiful team goal. The the good fortune of Montiel's uh, ball just finding Latoro Martinez and gets to play some combinations that result in Messi putting one just over the line there. Um, the celebration at that moment was was that the trophy was in their hands. And it was one of those classic, like, score too early moments is, is what I was feeling in the moment. I mean, you've still got Killing Mbappe on the other side. Uh, this game's got to have another penalty in it. Like, that just seems like what would happen. And and we've seen Argentina be unable to completely finish. And just, again, that Netherlands match, something crazy, something crazy is going to happen. And, well, Adam, something something else did happen. <laughs> Something else sure did happen. Um, was it Mbappe who took the shot? It was, right? He cut in from the it left. It was, yep. yep. Uh, so Mbappe cuts Our... in on a hat-trick, looking to become the first player since 1966 to have a hat-trick in a World Cup final and to come up with a equalizer to send the game to penalties. Or who knows, maybe to give France a chance to win again. Or like uh, at this point, it's just expect the unexpected. Uh, referee very decisive, I think reacts a lot quicker than probably anyone watching could have, because he spotted that Gonzalo Montiel's hand was extended, um, as much as he had, I guess, tried to tuck it in, his arm was out, his elbow was pointing considerably out, and his elbow blocked the shot that's about to go. Handball, one of those I think we're used to at this point, like in, in some ways it's harsh, but it's also that's handball, that's handball in every match. Every level, that's that's the way it is now. I think we're all probably becoming more accustomed to it. So another penalty. Mbappe's already scored once. Is he going to be able to do it again? Against Emi Martinez, one of the best penalty-stopping goalkeepers on the planet. Um, no hesitation. Mbappe steps up, and this time he sends Martinez the wrong way place in the left corner he's got his hat trick and France are level once again just the level of just sheer craziness of tension of everything that you could feel in the stadium I don't like we're neutrals and I think everyone around the world was losing their mind watching this point I cannot comprehend what it is like to have been a French or Argentinian fan for most of this match just I cannot wrap my head around what that must have felt like, just how crazy that was, because it was stressful enough as a neutral. I've been in very stressful situations watching my teams over the years. I've never seen anything quite like that. And again, this is as big as it gets, arguably not just in football, but in all sports. This is the World Cup final. Uh, this is the most watched sporting event on the planet. And you have a game going back and forth like this. There were still moments. There was still pure chaos after that. Either team could have won it from there, but it goes to penalties. Mbappe steps up first, which again, you're just like, oh my God, the stones on this guy. Your best penalty taker should always step up first. We talked about it before. It's very rare that you see someone have to face the same goalkeeper from the penalty spot three times in the game. Doesn't matter to Mbappe. Hattrick already scored. Again, puts one. Pretty low on the left. Martinez gets a good hand, but too much power, too well placed. France opened the scoring in the shootout. Lionel Messi, straight back. Adam, best player for the Argentinians, going first once again. 
Messi not making the mistake and Mbappe of their PSG teammate Neymar and being like, yeah, I'll take the fifth one. Um, Messi very, very coolly, almost too coolly, slots this one in just out of the reach. He His thing in this turn, this is why I stopped you earlier, because I think this is kind of interesting in the difference. You look, Harry Kane, so you, you gave him as an example earlier. How does Harry Kane take his penalties? What would you generally say about Harry Kane's approach to taking penalties? I I think he's a big power guy. Like yes. he tries to blast it, hit it hard, uh, always with his laces. He's never using the inside of his foot. It's always with his laces. I'm gonna hit this hard, and that is a very smart approach that leads to a very high conversion rate. Because if you can hit the target, you hit it hard. Even if the keeper gets a hand to it, it could go in. You have the option of hitting it hard down the middle if the keeper moves, it's past him. Messi has moved away from this in this tournament to waiting for the keeper to go. And I think it's just like, if I was Larice on the couch at home, I knew, I'm like, Larice, don't go early. Just don't go early. He is waiting for you to move. He's done it in the match already. And then he's just going to roll on either side of it. And he didn't roll it into a corner. He rolled it just out of reach of Larissa's hand. Larissa had taken a step to his left. Messi then hit to the left of the goal as he was looking at it. So Larissa had just moved too far to be able to get his right hand down to it. It went in just right of center in the goal from Larissa's perspective. Not great for a goalkeeper, but I think it's maybe it's Messi gets in your head. I'm sure it does. Maybe it's the World Cup final penalty shootout. But I do think Messi's new penalty-taking approach has worked wonders for him and is also incredibly fallible. Um, so that's think, something yeah. that's interesting. Because Mbappe then, in the counter to that, Mbappe is kind of a combination of <laughs> of all things. He's placing his penalties really well, and he's hitting them pretty hard. He's not going full laces. He's not opening up the possibility to blaze one over the bar. But He's like, this is going in a corner and it's going to have enough pace that if a keeper is going to save it, they're going to have to make a phenomenal save. Um, and honestly, the Argentinian approach from there, I mean, we'll keep going through. Kingsley Coleman, who was phenomenal after coming on, a player who at club level is just kind of anonymous 99% of the time, gets forgotten about and continues to be in Deschamps' France squads, comes on, he's changed the game. Uh, Messi, he's for Messi for that. the goal. Uh, yeah, he, cre- yeah. he created... He created the great Mbappe goal um, with exactly the kind of play you wouldn't associate with him. Like just going, showing yeah. strength, determination, getting the ball and then quick decisions. Like that's not the player he is. But he steps up having changed the game. Uh, I mean, beyond Mbappe, probably the most important player for the French in getting the match to where it got to. And really weak penalty. Low on the left, Emmy Martinez eats it up. All the pressure is now on France. Pelo de Bala, who has barely featured in this tournament, but came on. Great penalty taker, taken plenty in his career with Juventus. This is another one. He goes down the middle, not with a whole lot of power. This was just out of reach of Larice's foot. We're just like, Larice, you're going too early. Like, Larice has been an interesting goalkeeper for a number of years because he is capable of producing great performances. He's a shell of the keeper he was in his early 20s, where he was so formidable. He regularly makes pretty bad mistakes for Spurs. Without kind of, it's not like the penalty shootout was Larissa's fault. His teammates missed penalties. That doesn't help you out as a goalkeeper. 
But I do think this was another one where just a little bit cooler, more confident, stand your ground, impose your will, which I guess we'll get to in a second, um, because that's what the other goalkeeper was doing in the shootout. And you will save some of these penalties. He didn't. The ball made it 2-1 to Argentina. Uh, up next, Aurelien Chouamani. I had a bad feeling for this one. I hate nothing more than seeing really young players find themselves in that situation under that pressure and then missing. It's just like really, it's like the kind of thing that is real emotional baggage that can change a player's career, something that they can carry around with them. Some of them, they let it bounce off them and they'll come back and they'll be bigger and better. But it's not uncommon of a moment of that scale to be something that forever, that's what they're associated with. Chouamani steps up to take the penalty. Emmy Martinez throws the ball away. Gets warned off by the referee. I don't understand what that achieves. He's already done it. He's already disrupted the taker. He should have been booked. He wasn't. Um, Chouamani then steps up and puts his penalty wide. Doesn't even hit the target. Uh, that makes it 3-1 to France. Or sorry, 3-1 to Argentina. Who are 2-1 to Argentina? Who takes the third Argentina penalty? you remember? Uh, was it Paredes? Yes, I think you're right. Paredes steps up. Um, he puts his penalty away again within reach, I thought, of Hugo Lloris. But look, what can you do? These things happen. Randall Colomani, a player, I'll be honest, I did not know who he was until he was a late replacement for the France squad um, just before the World Cup started. This is a France team who were missing Karim Benzema, the Ballon d'Or winner. They're missing Nkunku, one of the best young attacking players on the planet. Uh, Ranakolo Moani, fantastic, powerful, composed penalty right down the middle. Well done to him. Really good tournament. Uh, one of the, I guess, interesting things for France is Turam, uh, Moani, obviously Mbappe, Nkunku, he'll be fit. Like These guys all have one to two more World Cups in them. So this is still like the beginning for this France team. And that leads it to Gonzalo Montiel, the man who uh, I guess got one of the goals started for Argentina, who gave away the penalty for France that sent the game to, to shoot out. He steps up very calmly, probably the best penalty of the bunch for Argentina, and they are world champions. All right, let's zoom out. Do we want to go to Legacy? Because I think there's some Messi and Mbappe. We could do some more on there. Do we want to talk about uh, the post-match scenes, celebrations, presentations? Uh, we can do Legacy Let's... first, I think. Let's... You want to uh, do that? You know, no, no, I'm going to do the other thing because Legacy is a... I want to come closer Close to a positive note. Yeah, let's end with better things. Yeah. Um, A few things about the post-game. It was the longest wait i've ever seen the world cup final between final whistle presentation i don't mind there should be a gap because you want scenes of players celebrating you want them to go celebrate with their fans families to come on the pitch all that stuff is good it went on way too long and then we have i guess the new fifa vision of how awards get presented where they give out all their tournament awards this is something that previously would like be announced in a press release uh, outside of maybe golden boot Instead, everyone goes up, stands on the stage, gets their photo taken. Enzo Fernandez named as young player of the tournament. Uh, I like Enzo Fernandez. I think he's good. I think that's a farcical decision. 
at that point I was like, are we just giving awards to people who are in the stadium? <laughs> like, are, are we just giving awards to Argentinians where possible? Which is if, what kind of proves to be the case. Um, I would have had Jude Bellingham very much as a contender over him. I would have had Hosco Guardiol, the Croatian centre-back, I think was probably actually the most deserving young player. And even, I think, uh, Aurelien Chouamini for France, I think, has had a better tournament overall as a young player. So I thought that was a weird one. Then we get the Golden Glove, the goalkeeper of the tournament. Um, I would have put leading contenders for that, being Croatia's Dominic Lovakovic, uh, Morocco's Bono, and by no means is it completely unjust to give Emmy Martinez the Golden Glove. We didn't even mention, actually, the phenomenal save he made right at the dead of extra time uh, from Muani with his, with his feet. Like, that's as big a chance you're going to get. Muani did pretty well, I thought, and just Martinez, strong foot, outstretched, managed to keep it out. Martinez gets the Golden Glove, uh, proceeds to, I don't know, how will I describe it? Make a... <laughs> Make a phallic gesture with it when presented as like the Emir of Qatar and the president of France, the president of Argentina and Jenny Infantino and the entire world watches on. You're just like, okay, my guy is quite a choice, but you have shown us who you are over and over again from your little dance in the shootout to your throwing the ball away. This quite a way to, you know, seal your World Cup moment. Yeah, in the moment, I almost typed typed this to our Discord chat, and I was like, "No, this is too mean." Uh, I was gonna type, "Martinez is a sociopath, but I can't look away." Like it was so. I what I want to be his friend. Would I be proud of him to be you know, on my team? You know who he reminds me of? His whole energy. He's got big, big Luis Suarez energy. Oh yeah, that's that's a hundred percent where it's at. So I know what that experience is like. Where you're like, this guy is, you know, is performing really well, but I, I don't, uh, I don't vouch for any of the extracurriculars going around here. I that being said, like, I I t- said on the last podcast, the 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 Argentina's team has not endeared themselves to anyone or me during this tournament. No, not at all. But but. I love that they're playing the role of villain because it's compelling to me. And it was stupid and juvenile. And I thought it was hilarious what, what had happened at the moment that this is a thing that happened in the world that we live in. in- incredibly stupid moment for the World Cup. I just don't understand that. I don't know how it comes into your mind that that's what you're going to do. He was even kind of like the Tom and the trophy. <laughs> it's like protruding and he's like nibbling on it. I don't. I honestly have no idea what was going through his head, where he was going. Very, very strange. Uh, the next trophy awarded is the Golden Boot to Kylian Mbappe, who they made go up and go through a whole photo shoot uh, while looking very sad with his Golden Boot. Eight goals, I am Pip Messi to that accolade. Um, and then last, but by no means least, Messi was the winner of the Golden Ball, the player of the tournament. He went up, received his big smile, then... Mbappe had to wait around for that and get in the joint photo with the three happy Argentinians with their awards. All very weird. And we're waiting. Referees get their medals. French players get their medals. Argentinian players get their medals. Scaloni's got his medal. There's only one man left to join the presentation. Lionel Messi, who has already kissed the World Cup. He's already enjoyed his own little moment, which 
in hindsight, I'm really glad he did when he was just in his Argentina jersey have this moment that maybe people can take that shot of forever of Messi kissing the World Cup. Um, he goes up. Gianni Infantino will not let go of his hand, like will not let this moment go. The Emir uh, clearly soaking it up. Puts, I don't know, I, there is undoubtedly some cultural significance to this. I'm sure there is a name for this, but to me, what is like a smock? It's like a graduation robe almost on Messi. Messi looked like he just graduated. Um, Insists on putting this on Messi, to which Messi then goes to lift the trophy. And instead of being in the iconic blue and white, instead of having a moment that replicates Maradona's, uh, instead of honestly, I talk about Maradona, every other captain in the history of the World Cup, this has never happened before. And this is where I think there'll be some people, oh, look, it's a, it's part of their culture. It's culture important. You know what? No other culture has mattered to the World Cup. At this moment, it is not a moment for just like show pony bullshit. And that really, the greatest World Cup final ever, this is what Qatar dreamed of. Messi sealing his legacy. It's what Qatar dreamed of. And you just get this, and I just thought it was absolutely disgusting. It's like, don't insert yourself in this way. They've got what they want. No one will ever be able to separate one of the greatest, if not the greatest players ever, winning the World Cup, finally lifting that trophy with the fact that, like, as he's jumping up and down, we can't see his face because he's wearing this thing that he has no idea what it is until a few moments before. I don't know. Do people want to hear that? Should I even be saying it, Andrew? But I can't let that go because that is the conversations being had around this tournament, the ideas of why are they doing this, all the despicable things that happen that are being, like, buried all the undercurrents around this tournament that I think from a host nation perspective, like the way they put themselves forward, they haven't engaged in. There's the moment where it's like, oh, the sports washing has gone active. They were not prepared to let that moment go without it being fully branded as this is a moment for Qatar, not a moment for Argentina. Yeah, very weird. I mean, the the length of time, the... The shawl, we'll call it. I don't know what you you said, smock. Um, same same thing. We can I like. Yeah, I'm sure there's I, an actual term. It's like I I was, I'm just sitting there watching it, and I'm like, I want to see Messi get his moment. I want to record this podcast so Adam can go watch movies and I can go watch American football. Can we get <laughs> on with this? And uh, yeah, just a very very strange moment. Uh, hard to say what was more surreal, that or. Emmy Martinez, who knows? Who can be sure which which moment's gonna live on? I think the Emmy forever. Martinez one I saw coming. Ultimately, <laughs> from what I know about him already, it's like, does that? Yeah, should have expected that. Uh, I really thought Qatar had realized, you know, we're nearly we've nearly done it. We're kind of now that they've got away with it, they've certainly got no shortage of scrutiny, but they managed to not insert themselves in the kind of in the actual sport of it. Until that moment, the moment that honestly every football fan in the world, the exception of Cristiano Ronaldo, has probably waited like 20 years to see. And it's happening. And yeah, just very strange. And on Infantino as well, who's just like spineless. Just nothing else needs to be said on Infantino at this point. Um, Okay, let's pivot back. Quick legacy stuff. And then we are going to reveal our individual teams of the tournament. I mean, Messi's done it. I, yeah. 
he had these moments of brilliance throughout the tournament. I do think, and I, I guess we touched on this some in the semifinal, I think to some extent his tournament has been overplayed, overhyped, because this is not the best version of Messi. We've seen Messi be able to do better things at World Cups, but I do think all credit to him for at this age, this stage in his career, being able to do it. Um, his brain is still sharper than any other footballer on the planet. You look at all of those kind of exchanges of passes, which all of the best Argentinian Argentinian moments and goals of the tournament have come from. It's other players involved, but it's always Messi's brain is there quick enough. The one two start, and he can see the pass, which no one is expecting, that opens up the space. That's kind of the story of the tournament. That's the part of where you're like, his brilliance is undeniable, and it's still there. And for that, he's even more special. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's a whole lot more to say on that for me. From It's like, we've all been building to this. There's no doubt about where he falls in the game. I'm going to be really fascinated now, and this is not something that happens like overnight. By the time the next World Cup comes around, I can't wait to find out like what do Argentinian fans think of Messi? What what is Argentinian fans ranking on who is the greatest player to ever play for their country? Because to me, honestly, at this point, that should probably be like the deciding factor. That should be the casting vote and who's the greatest of all time. If we're talking about two players from the same country, it's well, who do the people of that country think is the greatest? Nobody knows them better. Um and I'm curious to see how that evolves, just how much Messi's kind of reputation rises in those stakes this is only the third world cup they have won it is very very special there are few countries in the world that's crazy about football so with all of that considered good for messi good for argentina um they didn't endear themselves to me but it's never really a bad thing for football when argentina win a world cup yeah, and I I mean, despite all that, just the emotion on the faces of the fans and the players, it, it was hard to a degree not to be moved by that. The emotion of sports on the international level, it makes you think about, like, how would I handle this if the U.S. were in, in something meaningful like this? You know, I think we have a really good shot in the World Baseball Classic to repeat uh, next year, Adam, but I don't think that's going to be quite on the same Gosh. level for me. Um but yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you. Like, just send out a poll to Argentina and be like, you tell us. Like, whatever you say, that works. I've been, I've had a really strong, uh, um, uh, I don't know what the word is, impulse to to rewatch uh, Asif Kapadia's Diego Maradona documentary. I got to get through some homework for another for this podcast, a different iteration you're, of this podcast you're first. Of, you're nearly done your homework. I think you've done the essentials. You could do that if you want. I, my dad told me he did that earlier today. Um, oh, wow. He, he's like, yeah, it's, it's still really good. Uh, yeah, yeah it is. I mean, he's... I think Me- Messi's can, can sleep at night and any conversation about... Was he on Maradona's level? He can answer that question, yes, because he achieved the ultimate goal. Uh, like you said, this wasn't by any means prime Messi in this tournament, but just the he just seems to make the right decision in yeah. in every moment, and it's it's so impressive. And the pressure in this tournament turned up to eleven because you know it's it's your last chance. Like I'm I'm not 
going to be in another World Cup. Maybe he proves me wrong here. That would be surprising. Oh, he uh, shouldn't. I, he shouldn't. I, like, he's I he's not going to be good if he does that. I mean, the, I, the other thing to say here just is this is not Maradona 86. I think Maradona had to single-handedly pull that team a little bit more than Messi had, but it's not far off it. Like, this is probably the worst team Messi has been to a World Cup with. So for this to be the one he wins with is, again, credit to him. But it is also credit to Argentina um, as a footballing country, as a their national federation. Like, Scaloni is a kind of a wild choice for manager, but they saw a path to something different. It was also cheaper, which I think was a decisive factor at the time. But they, they put people in, like Scaloni, Walter Samuel, Pablo Aymar, uh, former internationals, kind of some of the best Argentinian players of the previous generation, some of whom Messi played with at the very beginnings of his career, and are like, okay, let's get those kind of voices in the room here, and let's let's run the team that way. And it's worked a treat. They've got a Copa America to show for it. They've got a World Cup to show for it. The fact that they did that and Messi bought in at a similar time, I don't think can be really kind of dismissed either. It's just a big few years for them, and for Messi again, that's he. I think he switched his mind to his focus being Argentina, and he got rewarded. On Mbappe, I don't think there's anything else really because we probably. But it's just like this is Mbappe's time, and we're not all forgetting about Erling Haaland and what he can do. And we <laughs> remind that within a week, Haaland will probably respond to all of this by just being like, "Okay, I got to score like four goals a game for the first five games back." Mbappe is something special the things he can do with the ball um his pace just the way he can change games is not something you see very often he is the first player of his ilk as i've said in a previous episode to me since uh ronaldo brazilian ronaldo il phenomena so i'm very excited to continue watching Kylian mbappe do his thing and honestly I'm excited to see him not a PSG. So even if it's Real Madrid and it means Real Madrid win everything for 10 to 12 years, I would much rather see him at a club like that with some of the players there than the kind of circus that is uh, the Qatari state-owned Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah, uh, I guess one more question before we transition to our teams of the tournament I have for you because there's been all the uh, rumors that I guess they've denied at the time, but uh, because they probably don't want to be addressing this during the World Cup. But do we think uh, do we think Messi is off to MLS this summer? Do we think he's going back to Barcelona? Where do you think he ultimately... I, I don't think he's Qatar? decided. don't think he cares. Honestly, don't think he cares. don't think any of it matters. Like, maybe he feels, yeah, I still like playing. I'm still very, very good, so... Why not keep doing that? Um, I I think winning the World Cup in some ways could decrease the likelihood of him going to MLS because I think he's he's probably so much closer to a place in his career where he's just like, yeah, I'm just satisfied with everything I've done. Like, I've done it all. And maybe one more season back at Barcelona and retire at that kind of level and in that team, the team that matters most to him. Because it just him not going back to Barcelona would seem weird too, and he's not going to go to the MLS and do a weird one day thing. I just don't think that's it. MLS just does not seem messy, and I know high profile players have gone there, but this is the highest profile. And after winning a World Cup, if it happens, what a coup for MLS! What a coup for football in America! Uh, I just, I'm not so sure. 
I, I don't think this makes it any more likely. But we'll see. I, I genuinely think he does not care. He just doesn't care right now. He probably has given it zero thought. And a lot of the rumors, one way or another, should probably be taken with that as a, a consideration. So we'll see. We'll see. He's got six months with PSG left anyway. Uh, maybe he'll go and win a Champions League. There. Sure. Yeah. Maybe he'll go and win a Champions League. And like again, if that happens, maybe someone would say, oh, well, then he just goes to MLS and he takes the money. Now Messi is not short on money and is never going to be short on money because like he will be a face of all major brands until the end of time. It's it's Michael Jordan situations. Like it doesn't mean that you know you can't have more, but I don't know if that's what will drive him. He's a guy who's going to go and live in Barcelona with his family. It feels like when his career ends, that's where he sees his home. It's where he lived since he was like 15, 16. So yeah, we'll see. All right, team of the tournament, Andrew. You go first. All right. I don't feel good about this. Uh, you obviously watch way more of the tournament for me than me. So, uh, just give us got. your team. Don't doubt yourself. We for could have all, the same team. For all, uh, just like visualization purposes, I think I'm going with a four-three-three here. Um, across the front for me, uh, Messi and Mbappe. Whoa, whoa, and... whoa. You can't start a team up front. Let's get back goalkeeper. All right. Let's, all right uh, it's Dominic like starting, Lovac- a, starting a list with number one. <laughs> uh, Dominic Lovakovic in goal okay. for me. Left back, Teo Hernandez. Okay. Uh, center back, uh, Yoshko Vardiol. Yeah. Uh, next to him in this center back pairing is Roman Saez. Is that how, how it's Yeah, pronounced? Roman Saez, yeah. Uh, Denzel Dumfries bombing down the right wing for me on the right there. Sounds like there might be some PTSD factoring into that choice. Well, go on. There absolutely is. Uh, you know, in the in the midfield, we're gonna go. Uh, Soyfran Emmerbat. Yeah. Jude Bellingham. Mm-hmm. Antoine Griezmann. Okay. Up front, uh, Mbappe on his left wing there, and then uh. Julian Alvarez and Messi also up front as my team of the tournament. I I wanted to put Cody Gakpo in there. I had some guys that were, f- were fighting for spaces, but in trying to scramble here in the while I was waiting for Messi to lift the trophy, there's my team. Uh, I've got Dominic Lovakovic in goal. Teo Hernandez left back. Oscar Gardiel center back. Rafael Varane center back. Ashraf Hakimi right back. Then I've got three center midfielders. I've got Safian Amrabat. I've got Luka Modric. I've got Jude Bellingham. In front of them, behind a front two, I have Antoine Griezmann. And up front, I've got Lionel Messi and Kylian Mbappe. Uh, I also gave myself seven subs just for the sake of argument and for our honorable mentions. Uh, Bono would be my subkeeper. Denzel Dumfries absolutely would be there. Um, defenders I found tough beyond that. I mean, Maybe so Jules Koundé have... could have made it. Harry Maguire honestly could have made it, but that just goes against everything my brain understands as logic. My uh, bias had me thinking Ibrahim Akanate. I thought he was great. He just didn't play enough. Here. Didn't yeah. play enough. He was great when he played. Um, so beyond Bono and Dumfries, I'd probably go uh, Aurelien Chouamani. Bruno Fernandez. I thought was excellent. I have a bias there, but I do think he was genuinely excellent. Uh, Alexis McAllister was fantastic. 
And then Olivier Giroud and Julian Alvarez would be the others I'd add in. But yeah, we're pretty similar there. I think you, we went for a different Moroccan defender. I fully understand why Dumfries is your right back at the tournament. <laughs> uh, you went size over Varane. And who, then I guess we're the same other than I had Luka Modric in and you had Julian Alvarez in. So yeah, pretty close consensus. All right, Andrew. I've had a lot of fun doing this. This has been a, a fun addition. It has made our podcasting schedule a little bit more hectic in recent weeks, but it is not something you get the chance to do very often. It comes along once every four years, although we've only got about three and a half years to the next one now. Um, so it has been great to talk through this World Cup, everything in it, a lot of the off the field, the on the field, the ups and the downs. I uh, appreciate everyone who's listened along with us. We'll talk football semi-regularly still on this feed um, it'll be focused on the club game mostly but make sure you subscribe there will be more football episodes if that's what you're here for make time for this um, the main kind of core of what we do most of the time is movies it's also some TV some music some pop culture this is the home for all things not Milwaukee Pro Sports essentially on the Eurostep Podcast Network so please do subscribe to make time for this to never miss an episode for more information on anything, gspn.info. There you will find our other podcasts, Winning Six and Eurostep, which live on the Eurostep Podcast Network feed, covering all things Milwaukee Bucks, Talk of the Tundra, covering all things Green Bay Packers, and Cruising for a Bruising, where Andrew and I talk all things Milwaukee Brewers. I'm an Adam McGee 11, Andrew's at AC Snide. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you. Thanks, Adam.